Hi, this is Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. The show is a combination of interviews with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do amazing things in their life by eradicating insecurity. You'll hear real-life coaching sessions from people who are overcoming insecurity in their life, and you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver some high-quality personal development content to help you in your own journey. I hope you enjoy the program. Now on to today's show. Hey, it's Jamin. You're listening to The Insecurity Project, and it's a chance for another live coaching demonstration with a brave soul. I've got Sonia Willis today who's been willing to bring something real from her life to the table and, and have a coaching conversation and and is prepared to be vulnerable enough to have others to listen in. So really acknowledge you for that courage, Sonia, and consider it a great privilege to be able to uh, you know, be invited into the world to have a real conversation with you. So thanks very much. And t- tell us a bit about what's going on in your world at the moment and what you'd really like to focus on today. Okay. Um, bit of a crazy world. You've got lots, lots of balls in the air and things going on. So financially... We're going through a tricky situation. We started a new business overseas and that's been put on stop for the last three months, which has made life a little bit more tricky, but we're getting around that. Um, I have a son that competes in motorsports and this is a huge part of our life and has always been. And I have issues around that. That is probably the biggest thing in my life at the moment. So that's what I'd really like to talk about today. Okay. Uh, yeah, so in general, got mum of three kids, got a husband, got a business here in Australia and a business in Cambodia. So that's what I'm about at the moment. Okay, cool. So top of mind, though, is the motorsport with your son. So tell me um, well, more about that and specifically what part of that you'd like to focus on today. Okay. Um when he races, I get huge anxiety to the extent that it's nearly debilitating. For example, last week was the first race of the year, done very well pre-season testing, flew to Qatar to watch the racing, did not even go to the track on the Friday, went on the Saturday oh, wow. and Sunday. But just the expectation that was on him and the pressure that I knew that he would be under the way I cope with things I felt that I was better off not being in that space so I need to know need to work out some better coping strategies in the past I've had a a Valium and things like that trying really hard not to do that but um, yeah that's that's the stage that it's it's that for me at the moment and I'd really like to work on that and work out how to get through it and be there and show up you know? Okay fantastic, um, now you've done a little bit of coach training yourself so have you come across the idea from NLP that people work perfectly Yep What does that mean to you that statement people work perfectly that what you've got going on and how you deal with it is how you want it. 
okay. And ha- and 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 what you can do with it at this point in time in life. Yep, that's definitely part of it. Um, can I unpack a little bit more about the depth of what that statement means as yes, a way yes. of being useful to you? So the idea that people work perfectly suggests that the results that you're getting in, in every area of your life are, in fact, the exact results you've designed your system to produce. So, mm-hmm. of course. So, of course, of course, you have debilitating anxiety. So these are two very, very different ways of thinking about your life and the world and this issue. If, if the presupposition is that you are broken and that there is something really wrong with you and that this anxiety is a manifestation of that brokenness or that wrongness, then all you can really do is mask, medicate, manage the symptoms and find coping strategies so that you can mm-hmm. suppress this problem in your world. And it can never really be understood. It's just this thing that happens and you don't like it and don't want it to happen, so you've just got to try and squash it and mm-hmm. make it not happen. So that's that would be a typical way people would approach something like that. And I imagine that's yeah. how you've approached it to this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So and that's the easy way. That, that's the really oh, easy way. It is the easy way. But is, is that way working for you? Well, it seemed to be. It it did seem to be, but the the side effects of the medication make you numb to lots of other things. So, for for the amount of time that it works for three days every second weekend, yeah, it's fantastic. But the ongoing effects for the rest of my life, I don't like. Okay, great. So. So is that presupposition that you're broken leading for a strategy, a behaviour management strategy, is that the strategy you'd like to continue with to deal with this issue? Well, if there was another way, would be better. Oh, good. Well, if there was a better way, would you take it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. So, I mean, the cool thing is it's your life, right? So it's not my role to fix you or to tell you what to do. I'm not here to give advice. I'm simply here to serve you to get more of what you want. So you try this on and and you make this work for you. So, so as I mentioned, the first presupposition is that you're broken. But the people work perfectly presupposition is entirely the opposite. It says, no, there's nothing broken about what's going on, that the results you're getting uh, have been very well designed to achieve a purpose and they are working exact, exactly as they intended to. And that might be confronting and offensive because you're like, well, hang on, but why would I design a strategy that produces debilitating anxiety? Uh, but you might make no sense. Yet, if you follow this mm-hmm. line to the bottom, it, it helps you understand what for, what is going on here, what could possibly have caused this situation and if you can see it, well, then you get a chance to change it. Yeah. So are you willing to explore this idea of people work perfectly and explore uh, how, in fact, you could have created this scenario in your life to serve a purpose? Sure. Sure. Oh, okay, fantastic. Uh, so let's explore, firstly, how having debilitating anxiety at a race meet is not a problem for you. I can just watch on the computer 
so I don't have any stimulus around me that's aggravating my nervous system. No, I just press pause. I press, yeah, press pause. Maybe I didn't frame the question correctly. So, based on the idea that people work perfectly, that also suggests that this situation has been designed for you and is working for you. So, I, I coached a guy recently who had depression, and he he was he was operating under the presupposition that he was broken. There was something wrong with him, and the best he could do was to manage this depression for the rest of his life mm-hmm. so you know he's telling me how bad this is and how much it cost him that depression how much he hated it blah 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 and he wants to change it and so my first question to him was to say okay so how's this not a problem for you and he goes oh well it, it is a problem for me because it makes me feel really bad about myself and I, you know I'm, I don't do the stuff that I want and I'm always down I said no 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 how is this not a problem for you and he says but it is a problem for me I understand that, but how's it not a problem for you? And he just, and I just held the space, right? I just, I just yeah. held that question because built into the people work perfectly presupposition is that every single thing we complain about and tolerate but don't change must be giving us some kind of reward to continue with the behaviour. The only possible explanation for a pattern of behavior in our life is that on some level that behavior is giving us some kind of reward or some kind of payoff meeting our need on some level which is offensive and and confronting it doesn't make a lot of sense but is human psychology 101 so back so thinking about the guy with depression for a moment any idea how he may have answered that question how is this not a problem for him when he was really honest Gave him an out from doing things. Hundred percent. So how's this not a problem for him? It's, he's got he's got this magic card in his back pocket that he can pull out when he is stressed, when he is overwhelmed, when he feels inadequate. So when things are, are spiraling out of control and he doesn't know what to, what to do and he doesn't feel like he's up to it, he can he can play that card. And just go, oh, look, you know, I'd really like to, but I've got depression. People go, oh, I've got depression. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no problems. And he can hide behind that card for a week at a time if he wants. He could check out of life for a full week just by playing that card. And no one can really say anything about it because depression is a real thing and, you know, it's not make, he's not making up. And so he gets to hide behind that card. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I do get to hide behind... Oh, oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that story is your story at all. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that you're. No, no, but, I, but I'm, I'm just. So, I'm seeing what you're saying. Like I can see that with me because I do that also. Okay. Um. So. Okay. Well, yeah. tell me more about that. So, what do you? What is it? What does this anxiety help you hide from? All the pressures that are around the racing, uh, the expectations mm-hmm. around the racing. Really? Um, but it's, tell me, tell it's, me more about those pressures and expectations. Uh, so I don't know. It's, um, right, hang on. I've got to get my words right around this. 
I know I can't control it, but I want for Jack to do so well yeah. that it becomes a problem for me, and I know it shouldn't be a problem for me, but he's worked so hard and we've worked so hard, and I don't... Oh, I just want him to do so well, you know? Yeah, sure. And he's doing so well. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Keep going. No, 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 you know, carry on. And if he was to do so well and meet those expectations, what does that give you? Satisfaction. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, peace of mind. Mm-hmm. What else? Happiness. Yes. Anything else? About it, I think. What does it say about you when he does well? I suppose that outside looking in would say you've done okay. Mm. Which is what I've always said I'm not after, but maybe it's really what I'm after. Vindication. Yeah, sure. Have you come across six core needs in any of your study of personal development? Yep, absolutely. Uh, so significance significance what do you, what can you tell me about how this could be meeting your need for significance mm. I don't know if, but it is on one level I know it definitely is on one level and it's something that I've always sought after <laughs> Um, sure. You know, right from school days and things like that, always wanting to do really well and win the speech competitions and all those kinds of things, and be a prefect. So it's always been something that I've strived for in my yeah. life. So I suppose it's just another one that's there secretly lurking. Yeah, sure. And, he, and again, there's no judgment. So not, there's no good or bad, right or wrong here. This is just uh, an exploration into what is and, and an exploration into the strategies that you are running beneath the surface that's perpetuating a cycle that you don't like and would like to change. Yeah. So one of the things I love most about the six core needs is the idea that needs trump values. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that concept in relation to six core needs? Yep. And what does that mean to you? That no matter what you really value, your need for whatever you're looking for will be the one us. Exactly. These these needs are going to get filled one way or another, and your subconscious will find a way. And mm-hmm. if you have not 
deliberately and intentionally found a high quality way to meet these needs that lines with your values, then the only other option is for your subconscious to find another strategy. It doesn't matter whether it's high quality or low quality, just as long as it works. And so, like, like you just said, there's always been something from being a young girl in, with the aim of meeting that need. What would you say, if you had to sum up one, one key pattern about all the things you've tried to use to meet your need for significance, is there some similarity between all of those things that you can see? They're all external things. None of them are internal. They are all external. They are all external. Which is interesting because it's great when they work, but the moment they don't, you have no control over it, and then you're in lack again. You you feel insignificant. So if you have the external thing around being the prefect, and you I, I need to be a prefect to feel good about myself, and then lo and behold, teachers and school vote you're a prefect. You're like fantastic. I'm worthwhile and significant, and that. That fills your cup for a time, and then it's like, oh, that's yesterday. Uh, now what have I got to do today? Oh, okay, the speaking competition. Or I need another thing to fill my cup, and another thing, and another thing. And so it's this yeah. quest to find stuff outside of you to um, validate you. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So what's the connection then between how well Jack does and your need for significance. Well, then it's a reflection on me. It has become personal. So if he does well, you are a good person. If he does poorly, in some way, that diminishes you as a mother, as a woman, as as a human being. Yes. I can see that. Which is a fantastic strategy if he does well all the time. Uh, yeah. Which doesn't always yeah. happen. You know. It doesn't always happen. And, yeah, sure. And the and times he does do well... Sorry, I keep cutting you off. You go. No, you're right. I'm just as bad. But, yeah, like the highs and the lows are very extreme. I could imagine. And uh, and obviously, you know, when he won last year, uh, or was it the year before? Yeah, before, yeah. Um, that high must have been simply breathtaking. No, it was. It was. <laughs> uh, but even even the best in the world don't win every every round. And even Absolutely. if they do win every round, they don't win every year. And at some point, yeah. that comes to an end. And yeah. then what happens? Exactly. I did a I did a ten minute Tuesday piece recently on validators. I don't know whether you you saw that video or listened to that podcast. Is that familiar to I you? I don't know if I did see that one yet. That might have been when I was away. Sure. So the basic concept was that uh, you know we need to feel significant, and often we find vehicles or people to validate us. So we we attach our significance to something outside of us and say that that person's job is to validate me or, or that thing, that's its job is to validate me. So sometimes people use their role or their job or their possessions or their achievements as their validator. It's like, all right, this mm-hmm. car, it's your job to validate me. If I buy that car, people are going to look at that car and go, oh, that person's valuable. 
So then if they were to crash that car or lose that car, then all of a sudden they're not valuable. Um, often it's with a person. So, you know, when you're growing up, you want to feel valuable. So often uh, a child puts the responsibility of validation onto a key person in their life or, or maybe even more than one person, a few people. So often it's mum and dad. They're like, all right, mum and dad, it's your job to validate me and I seek your approval. And you are the one who has the power to make me feel good about myself or bad about myself. So I'll do whatever I need to do to impress you or get your approval or seek your acceptance. Um, and often yeah. people are not aware of the validators that they're appointing in their life. And so all these things or these people have so much power their whole life. Uh, you know, I was talking to a guy who um, at, at 65 was still driving himself so hard to perform in business desperate to gain his dad's approval yeah that that he was desperate to prove to his dad that he was okay he was worthwhile he was not a stuff up he was not a screw up and and i just listened to him talk about this for 10 minutes and i was incredibly astounded to hear that his dad had died 10 years ago and yet still he had not found a way to take that role of validator off his dad even though his dad was dead it was it's madness right because even when his dad was alive, his dad couldn't give him what he was looking for. His dad didn't have those words. His dad was yeah. incapable of saying, son, I'm proud of you, I love you, I accept you for who you are. His dad was never going to say that to him. And, and now even less so can he say it after he's dead, yet he was still striving for that validation. So what do you imagine the coaching piece would be in terms of being free from the pain and dysfunction of of the of that external validation. Sorry, can you repeat? Uh, it was a complicated question. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, what do you think the way forward would be then, if this is the typical pattern people are running to have external validators in their life? How would you move forward? Somehow you've got to find and internal ones from yourself to say you're okay that it's all you know like I, I just totally relate to all the external validation trust me but um, yeah so you've got to find some internal validation somehow and change how your brain deals with it all well you're right and it's not easy but it's not complicated either it's simple and hard so at some point you've got to fire the validators in your life take that role off them and say do you know what um, you know I was talking to a guy recently and he was still seeking his dad's approval a different guy and, and so the way for the coaching piece was to go at some point you have to take that role off your dad because what if he never gives you what you're looking for or what if he does give it to you today but but then just because he gave it to you today doesn't doesn't give you what you need tomorrow. Tomorrow you still got to, now you've got to keep his approval. So the way mm -hmm. forward was to fire him from that role, to take that role off him. Now, you could take that role off him and give it to someone else, uh, yeah. which is what people often do. They just go from one external validator to another. <laughs> but that, that does, you know, that doesn't really solve the problem. So like you said, the way forward is put, pinning that badge on your own chest. Okay, I, I am the one who will take 100% responsibility for being the validator. It will be my opinion that matters. Yeah. Uh, 
I will only be free when I can look in the mirror and say, I'm enough. I am okay. And there is nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Whether this person likes me, whether this person agrees with me, whether this person says I'm doing the right thing, it's not going to diminish who I am. Sorry, I'm just taking some notes. (laughs) Oh, no need to apologise at all. So this, I mean, this is hard. This is this is why most people are not having these conversations. I, I wouldn't suggest for a moment that this is easy. No. But I don't think anxiety would be easy either. Well, it's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> so, so hard's not the problem. Yeah. So what if it's hard? You're already doing hard. Yeah. That is enough. Everything is enough. Like that, that's what I've just got to get into my head. Or not. Yeah. No, but I really, really struggle with that, with being enough, because when is enough enough? Well, that's, a, that's a great question. When is enough enough? Who sets the bar? You set the bar. So, or I set the bar for myself, so I've got to work it out. Exactly right. It is the the deepest level of soul work you will ever do to set that bar, to say what is, when is enough enough? When do I get to say that's enough? Okay, you are inherently good and worthwhile. You are enough. Because, I mean, perfectionism is often... Have you ever been a perfectionist? Has that been a word that would describe anything you do? Yeah. Yeah. Do you realise that perfectionists have never decided what is, when enough is enough? No, I mean, the scale, perfection isn't the weight, you know, it's all that sort of stuff. It's like when enough, enough, it's, it's, all, it's all relative, the things and everything in your life. For sure, but perfectionism is the lack of standards. So perfectionists look like they've got really high standards, but they actually have no standards. They've never decided on what is enough. All they know is this is not enough. This is not good enough. I haven't spent enough time, enough money, enough energy. I could do better. And so they're just driven to do more. And it kills them. Yep. And, and often, again, it's an external strategy to prove something to someone. If I can achieve this, then someone will say that I'm enough. Then some, then I'll feel good about myself. Absolutely. Uh, and it's a form of madness. It, it, is, it becomes mental illness. Because mm-hmm. there is no end point. There is no rest from that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favourite ideas around change at the moment, well, for a long time, has been that change takes a long time coming, but it happens in a moment. This idea that there are threshold moments in our life where everything changes. Uh, a great example of that, which uh, one of my mentors was sharing with me with me about this idea, was you know the Harvey Weinstein saga so Mm -hmm. you know but pre Harvey Weinstein being exposed um, if you had asked anyone this question is it okay for movie producers and directors to sexually abuse women uh, you know would anyone have said yes no no of course not it's like no no it's not okay but it turns out it was okay 
you know, so yeah. everyone's telling this story that now that industry is getting better, you know, women are getting more rights. It's not okay. You know, so this is changing. It is getting better, but it turns out it wasn't getting better. It was just under this cloak of male chauvinism and um, power. Men could do whatever they wanted still. Yet Harvey Weinstein gets exposed by some courageous individuals who finally go, no, enough is enough. This is coming out no matter what it costs me. He gets exposed and then and there's a whole other bunch of people that get exposed. All of a sudden now it's not okay. Like it literally is not okay. The whole Me Too movement, yeah. you know, now it's not okay to be silent. And so something has changed. And and now obviously there's the outworking of that and the process of, of fully applying that change, but something is different. So these threshold moments are when change really takes place. So... You know, so the process of cutting the cord between all your external validators and your significance is actually not a process. It's not something you work your way towards. There's this moment of courage and moment of enough is enough where you go, give me the scissors. Someone give me the scissors quickly. Give me the scissors before I lose courage. Give me the scissors. Give me the scissors. Cut. I have no longer attach my identity to what is outside of me. Whether my son does well or does poorly, it is no reflection of me. Can you just, sorry, can you just, I, I no longer attach my identity. Can you just finish that sentence again? To sorry, what I'm is that, to what, it, no, no, to what is outside of me. Yeah, so that puts into words. Yeah. What I want, it does, and, and Thank you. That's good. my that. pleasure. <laughs> and, and everything you want is on the other side of that statement. Yeah. And who knows how you actually cut that cord? Who knows how you find the courage and strength to do that? Yeah. But that is that is your gate. That that is the door. And you can't you can't. There's not a process of walking through that door or a process of, you know, it might take a long time coming to get to that door, but you either step through it or you don't step through it. Yeah. So just just imagine you step through it. I'm not asking you to step through Just imagine you floated through that door and just have a look on the other side. Uh, you know, imagine waking up in the morning with nothing to prove and nothing to defend and feeling free of any need to uh, get validation by what was happening around you. Just see yourself at the, the next race meet in that freedom, uh, being a loving mother and being excited for what your son is doing, but not being attached or, or connected to that result in any way other than just you would enjoy him winning. Can you see that? Yep. Tell me about the anxiety there. Is that is the anxiety anywhere in that story? No. No. It, it's hmm. just a happy story, like walking walking through the paddock with a smile on my face. Hmm. Yeah. So, so see yourself in that picture and see, see, see yourself in that picture uh, and, uh, and see Jack finishing last. See him having 
mechanical issues or, you know, some kind of problem on the day and and see him finishing last and see him being so disappointed and devastated and seeing his team bosses being so disappointed and devastated and see fans all around the world being disappointed and devastated and then have a look at how you are being and what's happening inside you and tell me what you see. Me just trying to make him feel okay about it all. Okay. Is there anxiety? No. No, there's no anxiety. It's just, it's done. So, yeah. Here's the interesting thing about anxiety. Here's the interesting thing about anxiety. It needs a story to survive. Yeah. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Interestingly, when you see yourself in that picture, it's not like you're trying to suppress anxiety or you're telling anxiety to go away. It just doesn't make any sense to be anxious in that story. So anxiety serves no purpose, so therefore it doesn't need to show up. Back to where we started, there's actually nothing wrong. You're not broken. Of course you're anxious right now because that story around needing external things to go your way, of course that produces anxiety when it does and the pressure to control those things is huge. Without that pressure. And I think I've always, I've always got my own way a lot in life. Okay. So I just want to get my own way again and again. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. Which, which is, yeah part of that, all of that sort of thing, so. Hmm. So standing standing here in front of the door that you have just seen and you've labelled that door and there's a clear statement on that door so you know exactly what that door is, what would you need to focus on to have the courage to step through that door? being grateful for what I do have. Okay. Is there anything else that you could focus on which would give you the courage to step through that door? Uh, having no fear. Okay, great. And if you had no fear, what would that give you? Freedom. If you are free, what then? Relaxation. Mm-hmm. And being relaxed, then what would you do? Be peaceful. So if you were to wake up calm, at peace, free, relaxed, what would be so awesome about having all those things? Why are those things so important to you? Because been a lot of turmoil over the years. Mm-hmm. So I really I really am seeking that peace and tranquility Beautiful. and Okay, great. 
here's the interesting thing about life and motivation. Uh, the most powerful driver in our life is a compelling vision of how we'd like things to be. And without that compelling vision, without focusing clearly on how you would like things to be, on how you would like your life to go, and, and how you would like to be seen by others, then this all gets way too hard. Mm-hmm. And as you focus on that compelling vision, that becomes so powerful and important to you and you get yourself to a place where it's like, I am no longer willing to live another day without that. Then you find a way. When the why yeah. becomes big enough, the how takes care of itself. I'm sure you would have seen examples of that from your life when necessity is the mother of invention. You know, when you get crystal clear about what must happen for you and you just go find a way. Yeah. Whenever you get focused on the how, how am I going to do this, how am I going to do that, how becomes impossible. You get paralysed in the how. Stay focused on why you must have this, why you're not prepared to go the next season of your life with turmoil and anxiety and why what you want instead is peace and freedom and life. When you focus on that, well, then it's a no-brainer. Excellent. How does that feel? Feels really good, thank you. Okay. It uh, feels to me like a beautiful. Feels like we've come to the end of a conversation. You've got what you were after here. Is there anything else that would make this conversation more complete? No, I think pretty awesome. Thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30-day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp. It combines high-quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jamonfraser.com. 